This year, August 9th through the 15th, 2019, we are bringing back our G3X conference here at Cal State Fullerton's Mahalo College of Business and Economics, and we will focus on innovation. We have great speakers coming, like Father Greg Boyle of Homeboy Industries, who innovated social enterprise, Stephanie L. Smith, social media director for JPL, NASA, and the Mars Rover, who innovated their award-winning social media strategy that won them seven Webby Awards. We have talks on 3D-printed hearing aids for Syrian refugees affected by bomb blasts, counseling services after the Vegas shooting, housing first changing the face of homelessness, eSports networks and their value for education, VR classrooms, and so many more things. We are hosting a CEO Accelerator training program and half-day sessions on board development and grant writing as well. We are very excited about this year's G3X conference, so I thought I would play you some great audio from last year's conference. The following are excerpts from Jan Maselka, the CEO of the California Association of Nonprofits and our keynote speaker for the 2018 G3X conference. She's a very wise woman with great insights. Enjoy. Welcome to 501c3BS. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco, director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mahalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. The session started with Jan asking the room how many of them consider themselves beneficiaries of community benefit organizations. Very few hands went up. This was her answer. All right, so let me just challenge that answer, okay? Because actually, a lot of us have dropped off a daughter at Girl Scouts, for example, this week, or we've gone to visit our father in an Alzheimer's care center. Um, we're at, uh, you know, we participated in a student activity at Cal State Fullerton, most of which are nonprofit activities like Asian Student Union and things like that. Um, we, or maybe our kids have watched Sesame Street, or we watched Downton Abbey or Nova on television. If you looked up something yeah, on Wikipedia this week, you were the beneficiary of a nonprofit. All right? Um, we're breathing cleaner air because of the work that nonprofit environmental activists have done. I have a hearing aid that uh, was partly invented in the nonprofit research lab. If you're a woman or a person of color or LGBT or a person with a disability, we are all standing on the shoulders of activists of the past. All right, so just the point is, we are actually all beneficiaries of nonprofits every day. And we tend to think of ourselves as us helping them, but actually nonprofits are about us helping us. Okay, so let me just try this again. How many people have been a beneficiary of an nonprofit? Right, all of us. Great. You've all seen economic impact studies, right? The economic impact of a stadium or a port or a gambling or, you know, the state fair, anyone. You've all seen a million economic impact studies. And one of the things we realized is there had never been one about California's nonprofit sector. And so we did one. And it's called Causes Count, which is this one that we did it jointly with some researchers at the University of San Diego. And um, so I'm going to do this as a quiz, okay? And this is not like the quizzes at Cal State Fullerton where you get extra points for being right, okay? This one you get more points for being wrong, okay? All right, so let's start with this question. Nonprofits produce what percent of California's gross domestic product? How many people think 4%? You have to raise your hand, you have to vote, okay? How many, how many people think 9%? How many people think 15? Okay, oh, you guys are winning, you guys are so smart. 15% of the gross domestic product, okay? That's a really significant part of our economy. Now here's another question. 
one out of how many jobs is at a California nonprofit? I'm sorry, one out of every California job is at a nonprofit. How many people think one out of 16? How about one out of 24? One out of 38? The answer, amazingly, one out of every 16 California workers works at a nonprofit organization. Okay. And part of that is because we don't think about nonprofits. We think about, oh, there's my church, you know, there's USC, there's Stanford University, there's Cedar sinai Hospital, there's the Girl Scouts, you know, there's the blood bank down the street. Um, but we don't ever think of it all as being part of the nonprofit community. So in fact, um, <clears throat> if California nonprofits were a state, not staff were a state, we'd actually be the 45th biggest state. So we're really a lot of people. And in fact, um, if you measure industries by employment, which is the most typical way that we measure industry size, nonprofits are the fourth largest industry. We employ more people than construction. We employ more people in real estate. And you think about how many times people have said, well, this is going to create construction jobs. We should be saying the same thing. This is going to create nonprofit jobs. We actually have more employment than the construction agency. Okay, and in addition, you know, Safeway, you know, the Bank of America, they don't have volunteers, right? We have volunteers. And there's a little bit more of a myth that when a nonprofit is small, that it has a lot of volunteers, and then they sort of grow out of using volunteers, right? But what we found is that at every size nonprofits, there are more volunteers than staff. So you can see, these here's the ones that are under $50,000. You can see the green line is volunteers, and the gray line is staff. But you can see here, the nonprofits above 10 million, see how many more volunteers than they have than staff, okay? So we, we are, really are a voluntary sector, uh, in not just our great all-volunteer organizations, but also in our, even in our biggest staffed organizations. <clears throat> So this is the one that we bring into, we talk about all the time in Sacramento. Nonprofits bring in $40 billion a year from out of state into California. <clears throat> and here's how we do it. First of all, we bring it from federal government because we get federal awards that bring money into our state. Secondly, we get grants from the national foundations like the Rockefeller Foundation, for example, Ford Foundation that are out of state. And third, California nonprofits raise money from individuals all over the world. The Sierra Club is here in California. They raise individual donations from all over the world. <clears throat> so people tend to think, particularly in Sacramento, which is a lot of what we do, of course, is lobbying for nonprofits, they tend to think that nonprofits use up California resources. We actually bring in financial resources. And this is why this is so important. It's because, like, for example, I was recently in Fresno. <clears throat> And in Fresno, most businesses centers around agriculture. And most nonprofits, I'm oversimplifying here, okay, but most nonprofits tend to focus around farm worker services. Uh, toxics, for example, uh, farm worker housing, those kinds of issues. And so these two groups are constantly butting heads with each other. <clears throat> Excuse me. But if we change that and say, let's bring in federal money into Fresno for a farm worker clinic. All right, that creates jobs in Fresno that have not been there before. It creates more money in Fresno than has been there before. It makes business happy because their workers are healthier, makes nonprofits happy because farm workers have better services. So if we stop talking about using up money and we start getting people to understand that we bring in money, it completely changes the dynamic of how nonprofits and business in particular can work together. Um, yeah, so actually, non, this is kind of interesting. We bring in a billion dollars from out-of-state foundations, but we actually export 1.3 billion <coughs> uh, to other states. And most of that is in donor advice funds, as you probably know. 
So what we, our kind of goal is, whenever we hear somebody say, what does the Chamber of Commerce think, or what does business think about that? We want somebody in the room to say, what does nonprofits think about it? So as I mentioned, a lot of our work is in Sacramento around lobbying, and um, and we we lobby for all the things that cross all the nonprofits that affect arts, environment, children's services, health, right, the civil rights that affect the whole spectrum. <clears throat> so for example, right now we're sponsoring a bill this year that would create. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to find a state grant to apply for, but it's like. It's like the mission from hell. You know, every state agency has its own rules, and you have to search around. You can never find them. So we've introduced a bill this year to have one website the state of California has that lists every single grant that the state of California makes to nonprofits with links to how to apply. <clears throat> you wouldn't think that you have to have a law to do that, right? you think somebody would go, hey, let's do that. But that isn't actually the case. Okay, are there more and more nonprofits every year? How many people say yes? Yes. How many people say no? How many people say growing but slower than subways? Subway is actually faster growing now than McDonald's. You guys know that, right? So the answer is California nonprofits are growing in revenue but not in dollars. Okay, so see this one. So you can see that we are growing in number, 2% a year. So that's pretty small. So don't let anybody ever say to you, by the way, there are too many nonprofits. When they say that, always say back to them, there are not enough good nonprofits. All right, now, 63% of our sector's money comes from only one of these squares, okay? So I'm going to ask you to guess or think which one of them, for this particular statistic, we removed hospitals and universities from the equation. All right, so 63% comes from only one of these squares. So which, how many people think that it comes from foundations? How many people think it comes from individuals? How many people from government? How many people from corporations? How many people fees for service? Squeeze from stones. All right, great, okay. So here's the surprising answer, fees for service. 63% of our money comes from fees for service. Okay? So one of the questions is, why do we all think it's something else? All right? So I've been, I wonder this a lot. So one of the reasons I think that we tend to think that it comes from individuals, when only 16% of the sector's income comes from individuals, is because we're all constantly getting these messages that say things like, we depend on you for these contributions, you know? That's kind of my guess, but there's also kind of what I call the fundraising industrial complex, right? The, the, the army of consultants that are telling people how to raise money, which if they just would stop telling us how to raise money and started raising money, maybe the world would be a different place. Um, but in any case, I think that foundations are so visible as somebody to, to look at. Actually, most of our money comes from peace for service. I'm sorry, can you talk about I guess yes, Giving USA since 54 has not reported that. I know, I'll tell you why. Because Giving USA doesn't talk about revenue. They only talk about contributions. So what Giving USA says is what percentage of contributions of donations come from individuals? Contributions. Right. But if you say what percentage of our total income, that's different. And so the thing is what, I mean, and this is something I'm going to be talking about a little bit later too, but... You know, how many people here get some kind of donation from people? Most people, right? How many people here get some kind of fees for service or earned income? Right? Most people. Most organizations today are hybrids. We get contributions and we have fees. Like people pay to send their kids to our preschool. People pay to take our workshops, right? Those are all examples of fees for service. So um, 
in the olden days, right, when nonprofits only got individual contributions, that's where Giving USA began and that those roots. And today, now that we have so much earned income, you know, things have really changed. And I think we have to think about ourselves as having all many different kinds of income. Okay? But business models are very different from one sector to another. So the gold here represents contributions and the gray represents fee-for-service. So you can see, for example, that hospitals are almost entirely fee-for-service. And whereas international giving, aid to people overseas, is almost entirely donations. But nonetheless, every sector has both. Okay? Every sector has both. In pretty, with the exception of hospitals, everybody has a pretty significant amount of both. Right? So nonetheless, disparities matter in our state. And we like to think of the nonprofit community as kind of mitigating disparities or combating disparities. But in a lot of ways, we actually reflect disparities. So who has more money? Non Northern California nonprofits? How many people think that? How many people think Southern California nonprofits? The rest of you are abstaining, or this is why we should be six states. <laughs> Northern California nonprofits. Now, this is the traditional dividing line between North and South, because about 50% of the people live North and 50% South. And this is right at the top of Kern County, OK? All right, just so you know. So um, and. California, Northern California nonprofits have $5,000 per capita per, per resident, and Southern California nonprofits, sorry, and Southern California nonprofits have $1,700. Okay. Now, one of the things we just did for actually for a statement where we were released yesterday is that um, Northern California, the Bay, now just narrowing it down even further, not just saying Northern California, but Bay Area nonprofits, mm -hmm. and comparing that to Inland Empire nonprofits. Okay. Bay Area nonprofits have 21 times more money than Inland Empire and area nonprofits. So the fact is, I mean, that's just a, a dramatic difference in terms of the disparities in the nonprofit community. So sometimes when I talk to people from the Inland Empire, I like to tell them, you know, you've made a strategic mistake by locating here. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. Now, which nonprofits get more money? I'm just going to tell you the answer to this, okay? We, we also, this study also looked to see, and we saw very clearly that nonprofits in predominantly white communities had so much more money than in predominantly people of color communities, metropolitan nonprofits compared to rural nonprofits, and wealthier communities compared to poorer communities. So one of our big campaigns at Cal Nonprofits is to think about how we, can we change these disparities within the nonprofit community, just the same way we look at addressing disparities in the community in general, right? Um, and where do foundation grant making go? It's just kind of uh, interesting to note that you can see that 30% of foundation giving goes to education. And um, I have to say that most of that is alma mater giving, right? Most of that is alma mater giving. So it's, it is, you know, supporting K-12 and kinds of things like that, but a great deal of it is alma mater giving. Um, so because we're a policy organization, we had the question, are nonprofits policy advocates? And how many people would say yes? How many people would say no? How many people would say, like, what the hell is a policy advocate? All right. So we asked people. What we found nonprofits executives said is within the last 12 months, 73% had met with an elected official or one of their staff. Right? That they testified, 53% had testified to a government body, for example. And, but unfortunately, only 26% encouraged people to vote. We'd like to see more of that. 
Right. So kind of the overall message here is that nonprofits tend to be hidden in plain sight, like we're everywhere, you know, but we want to change that to be in a place at the table. Right. So for example, just a couple of examples, I mentioned one bill that we're supporting this year. Um, we're, another thing that we're doing this year is we're negotiating with PayPal. Um, PayPal has introduced a bill into the California State Legislature and we have not taken a formal position on it. But unless it's changed dramatically, we will end up having to oppose it. And they keep telling us they're going to change it um, to, um, to amend it. But these are the kinds of things that affect all nonprofits, right? How PayPal processes your donations and um, whether you can have access to state grants. And we have, I was talking with somebody back there earlier before we started about a bill we have to try to decriminalize small raffles. Um, most raffles are really small. So you know, I, let me just tell you as an aside that like, so only non in California, only nonprofits can do raffles. Only nonprofits can do bingo, and only nonprofits can sell fireworks. So one of the things I think about is was kind of the sector of the minor sins. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I've become something of an expert on all three of those. So um, you know, ask me a hard question about raffles. <laughs> no, I know way too much. There are four bills in the legislature this year related to raffles, just tell me to tell you. Yeah. Okay, um, so let me just say a couple of other things. So I wanted to make sure that you knew about three things that we do at Cal Nonprofits that might be important to you. So one is we have an initiative on student debt. Do all of you know that if you work for a nonprofit for 10 years, you can get your student debt forgiven? No. I heard no. Yes. It, and everybody says, well, don't you have to be like a nurse in a rural area? Like, no, you can be like the bookkeeper at a museum. You have to work for a nonprofit. You have to work for a nonprofit for 10 years, and right now you're seeing people getting 50, 70, 110,000 dollars of student debt forgiven. Okay, so, and the other thing is, the thing is, executive directors and HR directors, they don't have student debt. They're, they've aged out of it, so they don't know where to tell their staff about it. So this is one of the most important things that we're doing. A second one we have is on overhead. Um, trying to increase the reimbursement rates for overhead, not just for foundations, particularly from government. Because you know what that, most of any of you have foundation grants or government grants, for example, and they say something like, you know, well, this program's going to cost, say, 200000 so we'll give you 100000 and you have to, like, match the rest. Right. Anyway. All right, and then the other one is Grant Advisor. So Grant Advisor is a Yelp kind of a site or a TripAdvisor site for foundations where people can go online and write reviews about foundations. And it's grantadvisor.org, and we have about a thousand, still new, we have about a thousand reviews so far. So those are just three of our initiatives I wanted to make sure you know about. And then we also have, we're having a conference in October in, uh, in Los Angeles. All right, so, um, so now I just kind of wanted to ask you, um, I want everybody to think of a nonprofit leader that you admire for a minute, okay? And then, and why you, what you admire about that person, you know, what, why you admire them, right? Now my guess is, while you're thinking about that person, I bet you're not thinking, I admire them because they have such good accounting systems, right? But you're not thinking that I admire them because their personnel files are always in perfect shape and up to date, right? When we think about why we admire nonprofit leaders, it's almost always for something they did outside their organization, not inside, okay? It was they started a coalition of domestic violence providers, for example. Right? Or they, they started a group of Latino executive directors that meets together and has been able to work on increased foundation funding to the Latino community. They've done things outside of their organizations. And yet, 
almost all nonprofit education is about things inside the organization. It's about finance, it's about supervision, it's about team building, it's about all, it's about management, and it's about things inside the organization. And so, I, as I, if we want to have people be, the, if you want to be the kind of person that other people admire, we have to do things outside the organization, not necessarily just inside. And part of that is because good management doesn't lead to impact. Right? We all have seen nonprofits. We all know a nonprofit, for example, that's completely cuckoo, right? And everybody says, oh my god, those people are so crazy. They're like a disaster. Ah. And you know what? But still, they're actually getting stuff done. It's kind of amazing, but right? They're getting stuff done. And then we also all know a nonprofit that you know could check off every box on the management audit, right? And they're a big bureaucracy that does nothing. So what we know is that good management and effectiveness and impact are not automatically together. Because sometimes we have well-managed organizations that accomplish nothing, and sometimes we have badly managed organizations that accomplish a lot. So that means that we have to think of management, working on management and working on impact as two different tracks. But the sector tends to make the assumption that if we manage well, we will have good impact. And that just isn't true. Now I know, for example, there's a, a large youth-serving nonprofit in, Cal in San Francisco that's, that's gotten all these write-ups for being like a model nonprofit in places like Stanford Social Innovation Review and <clears throat> all these other places for like it's incredible management systems and how great they are. And their executive director, in fact, left that job to go work for a foundation. Okay? And the new executive director came in. This is a group that works with homeless youth. And one of the first things she said is, I need to find out why kids on the street don't like us. <laughs> so the fact is that they had built this beautiful, gleaming management systems, and kids on the street didn't like them because they didn't realize that those are not, one doesn't lead to the other necessarily. You have to work on them separately. And they've been so focused on things inside the organization, they forgot to pay enough attention to things outside the organization. <clears throat> and <clears throat> Which brings me to one of my pet, one of my you know, 1,000 pet peeves. All right, which is Zoot has like one pet peeve, so I have like 10,000. Right, so um, <coughs> start a podcast. <laughs> and um, we almost every nonprofit has a management team or something called something like that, right? And, and you know, and most of those management teams, what they talk about is they talk about coordination. So they say things like so and so is on maternity leave, so how are we going to kind of you know fill in for her? Or this, this group has a really busy week next week. You know, how are we going to manage that? Or these two people are feuding. You know, can we move their cubicles further away from each other or something like that, right? In other words, our management teams only talk about things inside the organization. They don't talk about, in our field, who's the organization that's doing a better job with homeless kids than we are? They don't talk about what foundation is changing its priorities away from the kind of work that we do. They don't talk about what kind of coalition could we put together to get our city council to stop doing the idiotic things they're doing, right? So we tend, so as a result, we have second-tier managers who have never talked about anything outside the organization. They've always talked about things inside. And so we have overbuilt this idea about management to this great neglect about how to affect things outside the organization. And if you want to know what's going on in the community, you have to be outside. You have to go to other people's dinners. 
You have to go to other people's picnics. You have to go to other people's programs and meetings. You have to go to coalition meetings. And in fact, right now I'm writing an article called How to Get Your First Government Grant. And I'm interviewing people on how, who got their organization's first government grant. And almost so far, everybody but one has gotten it by going to a coalition meeting and meeting somebody there who helped them get it. So in other words, again, instead of thinking about what do I want to do or what do I want to be, to ask ourselves, you know, what does our community need us to be right to do right now instead of what do we want to do right now? And I think that that goes a lot further towards taking our minds to really what we really care about, which is what's going on outside the organization, the difference that we're making in poverty, race, and American freedoms and environmental health. And that's what I hope that you'll all take home from this. Thank Jim Masoka for doing an amazing job as our keynote speaker last year at the G3X conference. I hope you might be able to attend with us this year. It is August 9th through the 15th. And as a courtesy to you, I'm going to replay two episodes re-recorded with Jim Masoka in our first season. So look for that in your feed in the next two weeks. Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First 100 Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian coro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS. 